What should we call this one? The see, I would the first thing I think of is like not even the biggest part of the story. It's just that, that stopped lady, me. The, the lady sister spiritually yeah, fucked. The sister, yeah, yeah. That yeah. sister's spiritually that fucked. That sister, yeah. 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 A lot of people are spiritually fucked, but specifically but that specifically sister. That she sister. should be the hardest to yeah. be spiritually fucked. Yeah. I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling shooketh. Yeah. By the idea. So yeah, that sister. That's that sister. I bet you I can find her name. Okay, I'm just going to not change anything about what's going on here. Because I'm like... Your feet on boxes. <laughs> hand on the hip, my feet on boxes. <laughs> it's whatever. It's good. It's it's ergonomic. <laughs> right? I know. So last time we recorded, we were in the garage, which had better acoustics. So we're yeah. going to see how this goes. We're and back it, here in a metal box. We're in the box. The garage is getting a, a facelift, if you will. Yeah, we were like, we found a perfect spot. And then Tommy's like, you know what I could do to this garage? (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. So great for us. I know. It's actually rad, though. In in the long run, it will be great for us. Yeah. Because then we can, like, make this not so echoey in here. Okay. So today we will be talking about Yogi Bhajan. Do you know? Yogi what? Yogi Bhajan. 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 No. Okay. Like nothing. Okay, cool. Yeah. This is nice. So before we start, there's two things that we kind of need to have reference to, or two things that we kind of need to give background on. I feel like I'm really loud right now. Okay, no, never mind. That's fine. That's fine. (laughs) So there's two things that we kind of need a little bit of background on, and one is lineage so lineage refers to the historical succession of knowledge passed from teacher to student. Eventually, the student becomes a teacher in their own right and then passes down what they've learned to even more students. So it's kind of like yeah. a tree, right? Mm-hmm. The student is able to gain insight and wisdom not only from their own teacher but from the teachers that came before them. And according to Yogapedia, which is a thing. I love that. I know. <laughs> I've never heard of that before. Yogapedia. The result of lineage is an instruction that is enriched by many perspectives and free from the influence of any one teacher's ego. It also gives these teachers more legitimacy. In an established lineage, you should be able to trace the chain of teachers back pretty far. Okay. So, like, teachers shouldn't be putting their own spin on it. Like, keep Not it, like, protect it. But I think that with a lineage, you're like, okay, I know what I'm getting. It's like you automatically have the backing of this principled school of yoga. Okay. So, yoga lineages are usually pretty popular. Um, and it wasn't until, mm, I want to say the 80s, that, like, there was really this kind of non-linear schools that started to form here in the U.S. that anyone knew about. Mm-hmm. So that is the first thing we need to know about is lineage and how kind of important it is in the yoga world. The second thing is kundalini yoga. 
Do you know anything? None. I've heard it, but I don't know anything of it. Okay. So, well, oftentimes we here in the West call it Kundalini, but over in the East it's called Kundalini. But that is not how I was ever taught to say it. And so it feels very inauthentic for me to say it. Kundalini. Yeah, to say it in the authentic way. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to say Kundalini and know it's wrong. (laughs) So so there's that. But uh, in Kundalini, it's believed that divine energy rests at the base of your spine. And then when it's activated, kind of coils up through the six chakras and into the seventh, which is the crown of the head. So in order, or it's all in order to liberate oneself from your own karma. Huh. Karma meaning yeah, the kind of wheel of reciprocity that kind of comes back to bite you in the ass or give gifts to you. Or give you gifts. Good, yeah. yeah. Good. You give good. good, good you get good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it involves a postural practice, but it's more so like I cannot help but like sit straighter. When I said when postural. we talk about <laughs> Oh, when you talk about the spine. Well, I mean it's like, just like all of it. Up. This whole moment just made me sit straighter. So thank you. So Kundalini Yoga did it for you. <laughs> also hearing Kundalini <laughs> now also feels – I've only heard it like maybe two, three times in my life. Yeah. But now I've heard the right way to say it, and I feel like we're doing it a disservice, but we continue. <laughs> yeah. We are. We are. We are, but it is what it is. <laughs> so it does involve like a very physical practice, but but it's more precise and repetitive, and it's more of like really – it's a lot of really intense breath work. Okay. Chanting, that little bit of movement, a lot of like mudras. So like doing things with your hands. And it's in this specific sequence. This is where I heard it from when I took his class. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, go on. We'll beep that we'll name beep. right on yeah. out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's a lot of and they're called they're called kriyas, right? They're these like ways in order to channel this energy. And so it's meant to prepare the nervous system, body, and mind to handle the kundalini rising. And so oftentimes a lot of kundalini practitioners, they wear like the white turbans, they dress in all white. So it's a very like kind of distinct practice than you would see outside of the yoga studios that we usually practice at. Right. Yogi Bhajan is primarily responsible for bringing his own brand to the West. And when people here refer to Kundalini Yoga, they're usually referring to, I have to look at it because it's a lot of letters, K-Y-A-T-B-Y-B, or Kundalini Yoga as taught by Yogi Bhajan, which is... That is the longest acronym. <laughs> yes. That's and, a read. And, the, and it does not flow. No. It does not flow. But so usually when people are talking about, but there is a separate Kundalini yoga community outside of that. And a lot of people now don't teach K-Y-A-T-B, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Or sorry. That's disrespectful. K-Y-A-T-B-Y-V. So a lot of, like, a lot of people don't practice that or teach that anymore, but a lot do. Okay. Okay. So. Now to the beginning of the story. Harbhajan Singh Khalsa was born on August 26, 1929, to a wealthy Sikh family in modern Pakistan. His father worked for the British Raj as a doctor, and though he was raised a Sikh, he attended Catholic school because colonialism. Mm-hmm. But he was always a devoted wait. <laughs> I can't see, I can't see my notes anymore. <laughs> So he was always a really devoted Sikh practitioner and was very interested in his father's practice of medicine, which at the time included Ayurveda. 
which is also really popular within the yoga community. Mm-hmm. At this time, he alleges that he began his yogic training at eight and by 16 and a half had mastered kundalini yoga. Oh, wow. This is not true. Is this self yeah, self-proclaimed? Yeah, this is self-proclaimed. <laughs> this is not true, but more on that later. He's trying to make him sound like... Yeah, he was like, hmm, Come from what? a great family, and also, guess what? I'm stellar as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My dad's a doctor, but... Uh, All kundalini. Kundalini gen- genius yeah. over here. Yeah. In 1947, when he was 18, he and his family fled to New Delhi during the religious violence leading up to the partition of India, which was when the country was split into the Muslim-majority Pakistan and the Hindu-majority India. Which, have you seen Ms. Marvel? The like, TV show? The Marvel show? Oh, no. I was, I was thinking Marvelous Miss Maisel. Nope. No. Nope. Nope. Complete opposite. <laughs> no. Nope. Complete opposite. Oh, nope. they have a part. Uh, they have a, like a whole storyline about partition, the Indian-Pakistan partition. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, it was very scary and like a lot yeah. of like trauma. Anyway. Yeah. Nani's, Nani's family from Pakistan, they are all Catholic and they fled. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So colonialism for them as well. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they had to, they had, when they came here. That's crazy. I know. In New Delhi, he went to college with other refugees. It was kind of a slap, dap, slap dash operation, but he became an active member of the Sikh Students Federation and later graduated with a master's in economics. By wow. 1953, I know. That's good. Yeah. He's doing it. That's incredible. Yeah. Good for him. By 1953, Bhajan was working for the Indian government and had a highly regarded job as a customs agent at the Palm Airport and had gotten married to a woman named Inderjeet Kaur, later known later known and most commonly known as BBG, which BBG? is like so cute. Yeah. And she was actually very cute. Probably complicit, but Ugh. very cute. I mean, I feel like that's pretty standard. I know. Or- you know. So they had met two years prior. His parents arranged for him to meet her. She was only 17 at the time of their meeting. And, and he then, was how old? I'm sorry. I think he was 23. Okay. No age shaming going on. 17 is young, but not probably back then. Yeah. I mean, sure. What? Yeah. I mean, I've heard, a- I've heard of much crazier age gaps when parents are getting involved. Like, arranged. Yeah. Yeah. It just dawned on me. So we've been watching a lot of um, Scott Pilgrim takes off. (laughs) Uh And the whole thing is that like Scott is 23 and he's dating a high schooler who's like 17. Same exact age difference. When I when I see somebody who's 23 dating somebody in high school, I'm like, what do they have that you want? Like, what possibly could you love them for? Because they're still so young. Like you like it's hard to get to know. Like, I get it. I was 17 once and I thought I knew everything about myself and everything was figured out and blah, blah, blah. But when in such different like stages in your life, mm-hmm. what is it that you like about this 17-year-old child? Nothing? Mm-hmm. I do know. Nothing for me. <laughs> Nada. Nada, yada, yada. Um, so she came from a wealthy family. And in those days, girls didn't have a say in who they were married to, obviously. Oh. So she says, and this is a quote, The next day, I came back from college and discovered a party going on in my home. And when I asked what was happening, they said, it's your engagement party. I felt that coming. I replied, oh, you mean that boy I met yesterday? (laughs) Oh, my God. She just was like, 
Oh, oh that boy okay. I met yeah, just yesterday? Just yesterday. Cool. This is going down? Okay. Yeah. Thanks. So they were engaged for two years so that she could finish college. Oh. And be of like a somewhat legal age, I guess. Although I don't know what the Probably legal there was, marriage yeah. age back then was. And they were married in 1955 and eventually had three kids. Sometime in the early 60s, Bhajan began studying Hatha yoga with Swami Durendra Brahmachari at, in New Delhi. Durendra Brahmachari was a very popular yoga teacher, and he caught the eye of oh, – I am so sorry for Uh-oh. anyone who has to listen to this. It's going to be bad. <laughs> Jawa- Take a breath. <laughs> Take a breather. Take a beat. Jawaharlal Nehru. That was not that bad. You've practiced. Internally, I did practice. I and know. internally, as I was saying it, my soul left my body because I was like, I'm sorry for whoever I offended because he's very famous. Yeah. Oh, okay. He was the first prime minister of India. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so he caught the eye of or he got the eye of Nehru. And then he was hired to teach yoga to his daughter. His daughter was Indira Gandhi, who in the early 60s was a political powerhouse because she was working with her dad, doing all of this badass shit. And then as a by young six- girl. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And then by 66, she became the first and only female prime minister of India. Oh, my God. Side note. <laughs> side note. Mm-hmm. Brahmachari, would en- Brahmachari would end up having a very prolific role as her advisor and was often referred to as the Indian Rasputin. Oh, I thought, do you know who Rasputin is? I thought that that would be. (laughs) So wait. On the pod. (laughs) What was the other word? I was like, oh. (laughs) Dickensian. Dickensian. So I I thought that might be your reaction. Uh Uh-huh. Archie from the great. From the great. Oh. Yeah. Okay, okay. So I put that okay. in parentheses. Thank you. Because oh, I knew. Because you needed, you needed my to translate. Little yeah. yeah, thank you. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so he was basically like Archie from the Great. Okay. And she was Catherine. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So can get a little... Uh-huh. And he did a lot of kind of like finagling in his... To in hire his, his... Like to lift his own status. Mm-hmm. So Brahmachari's teachings were described as, quote, a subtle practice aiming at cleansing the nervous, naughty, and glandular systems in order to achieve higher awareness in the body. Did I hear nervous, naughty? Nervous and naughty. And naughty. The naughties are these, like, energetic channels that, like, go through your body. Oh, I thought you meant, like... What like, naughty? <laughs> the nervous system's real naughty. so hot. <laughs> I literally was like, oh, okay. No, the naughties are like this like energetic, like <laughs> subtle body system uh-huh. that can get activated as you practice in a certain way or you meditate in a certain way. There's active different poses activate different naughties. Okay. Kind okay. of yeah. You're so, welcome for everybody. Cause maybe you didn't know that either. <laughs> most likely no one did. No. I mean, based on who's listening. Yeah. Probably. Better. I should have known better. <laughs> better. I should have. <laughs> the former director of the ashram described Bhajan as a regular to Durendra's classes, but not a devout student. Meanwhile, BBG, his wife, was a student of Maharaj Versa Singh. Versa Singh was eight years younger than Bhajan, but had a similar background. He was born in present day Pakistan, fled to present day India during partition, and 
was deeply affected by the trauma. So at an early age, he was very introspective. He would meditate for hours of a day, hours a day. He would kind of disconnect oh. from society and just kind of like go into himself. Wow. And he ended up becoming the spiritual leader, often performing miracles and healing members of the community. Miracles I'm putting in quotes, and I did them very subtly, but yeah, no one can but, see that because we're on a podcast. Yeah, but I, I, so I picked miracles. up what you're Yeah, just on. made a face. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> um, He ran an ashram called Gobin Sadan outside of New Delhi, and although he was highly revered, he had no lineage. Oh, okay. So Durendra Brahmachari had a very deep lineage, so mm-hmm. all of his teachers can be traced back generations. Right. Versus saying... None. He Straight, was like, this new. is my own thing. Has nothing However, to go from. he's not a yogi. He's a Sikh. So oh. he has his own ashram, but it's a Sikh ashram, like a religious ashram. Mm-hmm. And so this kind of comes into play later. So BBG sent Bhajan to sing, and he became a very devoted student because he obviously is also a Sikh too. He ends up bringing other students into Singh's orbit, and early on, Bhajan would tell students that after working a shift at Palm Airport, he would go straight to Gobin Sedan and clean the toilets there. And that Maharaj versus Singh was so touched by his devotion that he touched his third eye, giving Bhajan cosmic consciousness. Oh. This story has never been confirmed. <laughs> like a little gift. Yeah. Good Just, looking out. Thanks for the thanks He for pooped the, him on the third eye <laughs> yeah. and was like, the toilets are glistening. Thank you. I appreciate boop, that. Boop. <laughs> Here. <laughs> so the story has never been confirmed. It also has been adapted over the years as his story changes. Okay. In 1968, Bhajan emigrated to Toronto ahead of his family. So he leaves them behind originally to start an import-export business. Okay. Which makes sense because yeah. he's a customs agent working in an airport. In Canada, he teaches some yoga but soon gets a woman pregnant and flees to Los Angeles. Oh, no. So he left BBG, three kids. Loser. I know. Oh, yeah. I kind of felt like that was going to happen. Like the second no, – I mean, I shouldn't speak for everybody or for every situation. But the second a man leaves his family, his whole family, and like is starting brand new, you know, too I many know. things In to the get 60s. into. Too many things to dabble into. Very um, patriarchal times. Yeah. 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 That's a bummer. So – L.A. in 1968 was a hub of, like, hippie counterculture. Uh The Beatles had just visited the Maharishi in India, so they were introducing Indian themes into their music and talking about transcendental meditation. People were experimenting with psychedelics. Psychedelics. Smoking weed. Uh I know. Looking for a deeper meaning to life outside of the boxes they were raised in. That tracks, yeah. A Vice documentary referred to this time as a spiritual gold rush. So... It was just, like, wide open for basically anyone that was basically brown to come over and be like, guess what? Yeah. I feel – It also – also a lot of white people (laughs) pretending to be brown. To be all of a sudden. (laughs) It was, like, the end thing. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. I feel like this is the origin of where people were like, I'm one-eighth Cherokee. Yeah. Oh, no. So it's okay if I wear – all this shit. Yeah. And and, you're like, and no. No, actually, it's super wild that yeah. you're even thinking it's appropriate <laughs> to do stuff like that. Yeah. No, I feel like that was the time where, like, much like it, not exactly like it is today, but 
people figuring themselves out and like it being normal and cool and like like trendy almost to be free or to be you know but yeah no I feel like at that time it's yeah like let's get weird let's get wild let's you know well and it also was like this time when like during I feel like a lot of parents during World War II Sac- like they sacrificed, had mm-hmm. this box of people trying to fit in. And then this is around the time of like Vietnam, around the time where they're like, this isn't working for us. We're looking for something different. Right. We're looking to break out of what like this kind of clean cut society yeah. wants us to be. Whatever we don't this fit is, into the box. is not working yeah. for us. So let's let's and like explore and figure it out and find new ways to find meaning and fulfillment and all those things so yeah, yeah i get so at first he was probably thinking that this import export business could be very lucrative so he's going to sell like fabric and beads that's what from i was going to ask what is he importing and exporting like fat like shit from india that oh. all these white people are going to be like I want it. I want. I want. It's gonna that. make me look real. I want real. That. <laughs> it's gonna make me look real authentic. Forget yeah. the hundred percent white. So in it me. kind of seems like a no brainer. Mm-hmm. He ends up being passed around in L.A. a lot. And Philip D. Slip, who is this scholar who has done all this digging and wrote this like amazing article on the origins of Yogi Bhajan and 3HO, his organization, um, interviewed some of these people. And they said he was pushy, kind of creepy, and overbearing. So they were like, bye. Yeah. to go. I love this fresh perspective who, like, doesn't, like, have anything to do with where he's come from or anything like that. He's, like, literally interviewing him at face value or researching him at face value with, like, a fresh mind and being like, whoa, like, this shit's wild. Like, anybody else kind of thing? Oh, no. So Phil Deeslip, and he, if you ever – like need to know more about Yogi Bhajan, you can find he's on so many podcasts and he's got this really great paper that I'll post in the show notes. He was like wanted to know what the like where how did this legend start? Like mm-hmm. what was where did it lineage? begin? Where what? how did this guy come to be? And so he just did the digging and what he found out was like opened up this whole new perspective on Budgeon and how he kind of rose to prominence. So he said that all these people were like, you're creepy, you're weird. So at first he stays with this Punjabi dentist who was like, no, you got to go. Then he stays with a man named Warren Stagg who owned a vegetarian restaurant in L.A., which I think at the time was the only vegetarian restaurant in L.A. Uh-huh. called Help. And it stood for it stood for health, ecology, love, and peace. And it was there that a lot of these hippies would come back and look at a bulletin board and try to find a guru, which a bulletin a board. A bulletin board. Yeah, literally, I was like, like, what does this look like? I just with, want to know. With thumbtacks and everything. Like I does it have like, you know, like those babysitting flyers where it's like need a babysitter and it's got your tag. number, you like rip the rip tag. Rip the tag off. I was like, need a guru. <laughs> yeah. So eventually he ended up being hosted. Yeah, he ended up being hosted by this woman named Judith Tyberg. And she ran the East-West Cultural Center in L.A. where he ended up teaching yoga. Okay. And she ended up firing him three months after, like, three months of him working there for being a creep and being inappropriate with women. (gasps) And Meanwhile, where is his new baby mama and his new baby? Mm -hmm. Okay. I guess supposedly she ended up coming to L.A. to be like, hey, where is this guy? Yeah. 
And I don't know what ever to happened. Avail. Okay. Yeah, to no avail. But Judith Tyberg was a very smart lady. And for years, she didn't divulge why she fired him because she was kind of walking the walk and she didn't believe in talking shit. Okay, um, that's nice so of her. That's like I big. Know. That's really big. It is really big of her, but it also is very fair to ask. And Philip D. Slip, I think I heard him kind of posit this, is that yes, however, it's fair to ask that if in keeping her silence – did it not only allow for gossip Other to thing. flourish and for him to kind of take control of the narrative, yeah. but also to kind of – it ended up suppressing kind of the more predatory nature that he ends up having. Yeah. But in the first few months that he had been there, he amassed a huge following. And one of these followers was a woman named pa- Pamela Dyson. He met Pamela Dyson. She was a regular at Help, that vegetarian restaurant, uh-huh. and was already practicing yoga but was – in need of, like, she was on the hunt for a guru. She was okay. like, I need someone to help me, to take me further. She had just recently gone through a divorce. She was only 25. She was, like, looking for that direction in life that she just wasn't getting. Yeah. She was a secretary at Warner Brothers and was just and kind this of floating. Is literally the stage in life where people are most vulnerable and will just latch on to somebody that sounds like, they're selling like the good good, you know, like, yeah, he can help her. He can guide her. He can take her deeper into her practice and into her, you know, self. Yeah. So she sees an ad for a lecture at the East West Center and decides to go. And she's like, maybe this guy will be my guru. She ends up not really liking the lecturer. Mm-hmm. But she notices Budgeon in the back of the room and he's wearing this bright pink turban. And she's like, this man is so attractive. <laughs> What? Okay. So she's like, Mom, I'm get private lessons from him. Okay. Oh, my God. I, Which I, I need don't, to see what he looks like. I don't understand. I mean, he's not for me, but I mean. But he's for somebody, right? Yeah, he's for somebody. That's fine. So in their first session, she describes it as being kind of an interview process where he's like, okay, what is your goal? What do you want to do? Like, what what are your end goals? And then they do a couple of postures. And then she lays down into a shavasana. And then as she's laying in shavasana, he puts his hand on her belly and then one hand on her boob. Because he's like, this is your heart, but I'm going to cup I don't boobs. know. She was like – she said at first she was like, what the fuck? But then was like – it didn't seem gropey. It seemed clinical. Like his eyes were closed and he was kind of looking off in the distance. And so she was like, okay, maybe I'm just uneducated about something and this is like how it's supposed to be. Ladies – just so you know, always follow your gut instinct. Don't doubt yourself. No. Because in this moment, she'd be wrong. Yeah. She – and I think that's like – I think that's also – I think that this is often what happens is how people get taken advantage of is that they think like, oh, this is normal for this practice and it's me that has to work through something to right. make it feel okay. Right. And it's not. No. 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 Your body is your body. Like, no one should be touching your boobs. No. Unless you want them to touch your boobs. I mean, in that case, have Adam. Yeah. But until then. <laughs> until then. I'm a hard good pass. Luck, good, good, luck, luck finding, good luck finding them. They're, good luck holding them. They're like jellos. of their own. <laughs> they're, they're, they're agile. <laughs> they be going places. <laughs> so Budgen kind of like hooks in Dyson by telling her like, you know – if you want to deepen your knowledge, like your knowledge, I can do that. I can teach you to be a teacher. And then she would like, he then pass his lineage 
if he were to well then so yeah she would be indirect he would be the main teacher and she would would be a budget lineage right so he's and then like, she i can then teach get you all the okay so he's like i can teach you to be a teacher and she's like well i'm kind of like gonna leave the country i don't have time and he's like well we could do it just if you if you have the if you say that you want to do it and you commit you can do it but you have to promise me that you'll finish and so she was like, I don't really know. And he's like, well, you commit or you don't commit. Like, you you can do it. Yeah. But you just need to commit to finish it. And she was like, okay, sure. Like, like he made it sound like just so simple, just so black it's and like, white. Yeah, but, like, like it, you need to decide so now. You need to, like, decide yes or decide no. Yeah. He's and like, if you decide no. Yeah. He's basically, like, making her kind of, like, make a promise. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'll finish it. And I don't know. That's creepy. Like, I feel like... I feel I mean, like I would be fucked up by that because I feel like... That's too stressful. That would I immediately would like, be a no for me. It would be a no. Yeah. But if you do say yes, I feel like there'd always be that pressure there to, like, complete the thing. That, yeah. Like, you know. Which is why I lean towards no. I know. Well, it took me a really long time. At 25, I'd be saying yes and over-promising Well, so you know, I just things. learned how to say no. I would just experienced yeah, the Yeah, this Jomo. is something that only happens in your late 30s where you're like, no, yeah. no. Yeah. Because even like a month ago, I don't know. Gen I Z, was just, yes. Gen Z yeah. has no problem with those. Yeah. I've yeah. noticed. Oh, I like Good for that. them. Yeah, I like that for them. So Pamela is introduced to other followers. And at first she's like, this is kind of a weird mix, but everyone's pretty cool and they're welcoming and very familial. So she ends up feeling very home with, like at home with this group of people. They like picnic in the park. They have oh, barbecue. They have like a good community. It, like, it sounds. Yeah, it's, it's like, like a cute little community. And, and it's like, like instant family for her. Yeah. Especially and that's in a space that where you missing. feel like you don't mm-hmm. have that. Yeah. So originally she said that he wore, when she first met him, he's wearing a turban, a button down shirt, slacks and loafers with no nose ox and as his following grew he started wearing these long white shirts with the cotton pants and then she says those like shoes that are pointed that she's like what genies oh uh-huh and i don't know what they're called and i don't want to mispronounce it but that's how she describes it in her book i did recently go to a indian wedding and saw a white person wearing them and immediately was like Bleh. <laughs> However, no one else seemed to care except for me, so I don't know. I just don't want to mispronounce what they're actually called. There's Juthi Slipper. Are they really pointed? Uh-huh. Like going up, curving up? Uh-huh. Like it could take an eye out? Yeah. Okay. But only if the, the eye is looking directly down at the yeah. yeah. Like yeah. if you kicked someone, you wouldn't poke an eye out because it would be coming Because it would you. Yeah. It would, it would be like the end of a – it would be rounded. Yeah. Only if you pulled backwards. So he started wearing all of this kind of garb, like what you would think of when you think of like this like yoga from like a yogi from India in the Mm -hmm. 60s. Like that's what he started dressing like. So in his classes, he taught postural yoga, meditation with Sikh philosophy and something – and it's like I I think I mentioned before, it's like kind of crazy because – Sikhism and yoga are completely separate things. One is a religion. Sikhism is a religion. Yoga is not – it is not a religion at all. It's a Mm -hmm. spiritual practice, definitely not a religion. So – and I I do think that you can have like Sikh philosophy in a yoga class if you are Sikh teaching yoga to other Sikhs. Sure. or, or, Or like – or the philosophy without it. I don't know. I'm I'm not saying it can't exist, but this is what he was doing at the time and selling it as kundalini yoga. And it, in fact, was not. Okay. And it was not. It was 
regular religion, like regular, regular yoga with Sikh philosophy and his breath work and his like the physical practice and the breath work were like super, super intense. And the way that he would do it would make a student feel high at the end of it. Have you ever done? <gasps> when we do like those breathing. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, at eight degrees. So when you do like Bastrika breath, which is that like really fast, like. Uh-huh. He. So one of the things he does is that he bre- he takes a lot of the like names of things and he like brings it over and he just calls it like white. He like does a rough translation of things. So he calls it breath of fire. So he would do that. So you end up feeling like floaty and you feel like high. Yeah. And so one of his students, Taj Steiner, who ended up running the Toronto 3HO ashram, said that it was the sense of getting high without drugs that hooked a lot of them. Because I think that it's like the tail end of the 60s. They're like, yeah, doing they've been going hard for years. Yeah. And so finally they find the spiritual practice where they're like, I can get to a get similar high without to- doing shit. Without damaging my whole body. Yeah. So that's kind of what hooked a lot of them. But also that feeling can be very addicting. Right. So in honestly, early- that feeling for me when I was like – at first I was like, oh, this breathing class was like way too much mm-hmm. because like it's dark, things are over your eyes, and all I'm doing is breathing. And then all of a sudden you feel like this like rush of like crazy go through your body that's like – and I was like, Ooh, like, I didn't know how to feel. But once mm-hmm. I, like, kind of, like, accepted that, it was really cool. And I was like, that's why I would go back. And it just, like, sets you up proper for the rest of the day. Yeah. So. No, I think that there's definitely a purpose for that kind of breathing. So in early 1969, only a few months after meeting Yogi Bhajan, he asked Dyson to quit her job as a secretary at Warner Brothers and to move into the house that he shared with all of his followers. But wait, wasn't she leaving the country shortly? Anyway? She was. I. She never really mentions if she left. I don't think she ended up leaving. I think that she just was she like, pivoted and was now. like, oh. So she ends up moving into this like shared house. And then when he asked for it, she gave him $10,000, which was her entire life savings. What? Just to just because. See, that's when you know. What they're asking for your money. Mm-mm. If one of my very good friends were to even ask me for ten thousand dollars, I'd be like, sure, okay. Why? Why? All the questions asked, like, what are we doing with it? Like, maybe, like, you know yeah. what I mean? It's never just a blind here you go because I feel obligated to you. No. No. It's I don't I don't understand that, but Apparently, a lot of people do this. So he began to call her Premka, which she says in an interview I saw, she didn't realize that at the time, but it meant mistress in Punjabi, which I cannot verify. Which is crazy because they – what do you mean? I can't verify that. I mean, she says it, but when I looked it up, I kept looking up mistress in Punjabi. I couldn't find I oh, couldn't okay. find it. So yeah. I'm like, I don't know if that is necessarily true. Maybe if someone knows but Punjabi, were they, they even can getting, tell me. Were they even getting physical at that point? Not at that point. But so he had plans So already. he had plans. So she became his assistant of sorts. She ended up driving him around, helped with letter writing, transcribing his lectures. She was taking all of these texts and translating them like through him so that she could like he could publish it. Mm-hmm. She also became his nighttime attendant. 
the fuck is a nighttime attendant? It was her job to massage him to sleep. And he required an attendant while he slept because sometimes he would need to leave his body to receive messages from his master. And his body would get so cold he might freeze to death. Stop. So she's just there. Is she sleeping next to him or is she just sitting by him? No, she would. She would. Oh, no, she would sit by him. She would massage him to sleep. They'd have some sex. And then she'd go oh, back. Damn. She'd go back to a rolled up mat next to his bed and then try to stay awake just in case because his one body time, left. Because one time she said that she had fallen asleep and she woke up and woke up and his body felt cold. And she was like, oh, my God, he's dying. So she's just praying and massaging him. And then all of a sudden she's like, then I could like the window wasn't left open. It's just that I was he wasn't wearing blankies like I don't. People get cold at night, and then you turn over and you move a blanket over. Yeah. I have no idea. Anyways, she said that from that point on, she was like, I trained myself to only ever be half asleep so that in case he, like, stirred, I was there. And it is like high control groups. One of their tactics is sleep deprivation. Yeah. So that's usually one of the ways in which they disorient you to end up controlling you which like much like my babies did when we were yeah <laughs> when i was a new when mom when we served when we served the cult of our children <laughs> the, the, the cult of we our children i became i became forever into their indentured soldier soul mm-hmm. servant <laughs> yeah so in her lawsuit eventually she ends up suing, suing him. him so in a lawsuit she claims quote Budgen demanded that I coordinate his sexual liaisons with other members of the secretariat, meaning his whole gaggle of secretaries, and arrange for the orgies that occurred between him and several members of the secretariat. I refused to participate in the orgies, and in making the arrangements for them, I learned later that he would then discredit me behind my back as untrustworthy and advise the other women, other women members of the secretariat not to trust me in any matters. I don't understand what a man can say to a woman to get them to abide by this I think that they of... find you. So um, Charles Manson. Oh, I'm familiar. So Charles Manson had always said that when he was targeting people, he wanted them bruised but not broken. But he was also because drugging that, them. Yes, but not originally, not at first. Uh. And they would love bomb. He would pull them in when they were damaged. He knew what they needed. He knew what they needed to hear. And then he would love bomb the shit out of them. And then and, they would just like, and then hang they on would be to that love. yeah. And then by the time that he was drugging them, they were taking it willingly because they would have fallen. They would have done anything. Yeah. And I think it's very similar here, where he's just love bombing her, love bombing her, love bombing her, and all the secretaries to make all of them be like, "Yeah, okay, let's yeah. do this." And at this time, there wasn't a lot like there wasn't as much like I mean, LA's big, but mm-hmm. it didn't have that many people who were claiming to be these like guru types, and everyone right. was so hungry for this like spiritual awakening. I think they were like willing to go outside of their comfort zone or go beyond their own like intuition to be like this isn't right because they're like something is not working anyway so if i go outside of what i know to work then maybe it'll lead to something great right and it just maybe like doesn't. the hugh hefner effect is that in alignment at all where like 
he's like this big, like big name, super rich, blah, 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 gets all these girls, young girls who think the world of him and know that the life that he leads. And they essentially would do whatever he wanted. Well, yeah, because it comes with access and power. Mm-hmm. Kind of. Yeah. And he comes, Bajin. A ghost. Yeah. No, it's our access and power. It was like a little ball that fell from the tree. Oh, maybe. I was thinking it was just like the metal of the, you know, like. A house settling. <laughs> but like <yeah>. the metal. <laughs> metal metal settling. Metal settle. <laughs> Don't worry. It's just metal yeah. settle. It's just metal settle. <laughs> but yeah, so I think it. I think it's similar. I think that people were uneducated on what a relationship between a student and a teacher should look like. Actually, wait pause this because i actually have notes okay back on (laughs) back on okay so i had written this like little kind of guru student primer that i was like maybe we'll do a whole episode on but i it was just kind of too much Mm -hmm. but the so the guru culture what we have in the west is not what it was like typically back in the east whether Mm -hmm. it was Buddhist or Sikh or Hindu, like it was all kind of different. And Rob Priest, who is or priest, Rob Priest, a Buddhist author and psychotherapist, writes in his book, The Noble Imperfection, that a guru slash disciple relationship can be valuable, but because of the ignorance or kind of the naivety of Westerners not knowing what a healthy guru-disciple relationship should look like and lack of understanding on the guru's part as to the nature of Western psychological makeup, it can be super toxic. Yeah. So, And that's honestly, like, unfortunately, what I feel like has been a recurring theme. Yeah, recurring theme. So, yeah, Priest says... Quote, in its simplest sense, transference occurs when unconsciously a person endows another with an attribute that actually is projected from within themselves, giving this power over to someone else. They have a certain hold and influence over us that is hard to resist while we become enthralled or spellbound by the power of the archetype. With transference, we give that person power over us, which carries the potential for great insight and inspiration, but also the potential for danger. Yeah. Like, look at me doing that research. Yeah, you and 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 you would want to feel like you can trust this person because there's a lot of opportunity for all that good insight and all the you know the goodness that can come along with it. Mm-hmm. But it seems to be that recurring theme that these are all like really yucky people. Yeah, and I think that um, which sucks. I don't think that Budgen started out with good intentions. However, I think a lot of people do start out with good intentions and it goes awry once they have power. Once the power and gets involved. Money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in December of 1970, Budgen took 84 of his followers on a trip to India. They spent months learning about Indian customs and protocols for places of worship. They were supposed to stay at Gobind Sidan, the ashram run by Maharaj versus Singh, and were told, do not talk about yoga at the ashram. And they were like, that's kind of weird. Yeah. That's weird because it's a Sikh ashram. It's not a yoga ashram. Mm -hmm. And in Sikhism, you don't meditate to find spiritual enlightenment. Like that's not a part of their practice. That's not 
So it kind he's of like, has no place there. Right. He's like, don't talk about it because I've done this all wrong and have been teaching it to you guys all wrong. And if you guys bring it up, it's going to essentially out me and we're like, I'm going to have this shit storm to deal with. Yeah. Pretty much. So the trip was very weird and tense, and it led to a break between Versus Singh and Bajan. I'm thinking, why would he even do that? That's like flying too close to the sun almost. Like bringing – like that's a big risk that he's taking on by bringing them all. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what his thinking was. I think it was a little bit of an ego Mm. thing. So the particulars aren't very clear, Bajan said that Versa Singh wanted him to hand his students over to him. Then he said that Versa Singh wanted him to align politically behind someone that he behind somebody and he was like, I can't be bought. And it kind of makes no sense because he's a nobody in India. Uh-huh. Like, why would he why would he why want? would he be asking for him to align again like with somebody? But what we do know is that when they arrived, BBG and his kids were with Versa Singh. Like with? With him. Like they were staying at the ashram because he left them. Yeah. And so they were staying with them. And so apparently he had told Pamela Dyson that when he arrived, his wife didn't sit, stand on his side with him. She was standing with Versa Versa Singh. Singh. And that was a big slap in the face. But like, As it should have been. He should have got a drop kick to the face. Yeah. But also there was a lot of tense words, a lot of kind of like fighting. Mm -hmm. And Pamela Dyson says that like bbg was upset the whole trip like her face was like swollen from crying a ton and my at this point how long had he been gone like i quite a while yeah like a year or so yeah maybe longer maybe longer it sounds like it would have been longer 1970 so if he left it so two years okay so two years but it was like late 70 god he got a lot of bullshit done and he got a lot of bullshit done so my thought, and this is pure speculation, is that he probably showed up and Versa Singh was probably like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. You left your wife. You have all Three these kids. random ass white people here. What have you like, brought these is, 84 white people? <laughs> yeah. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. And so he probably called him on it and it led to tension. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, that's, I mean, that is bringing, my guess. What did he expect bringing all these people you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What did he think was going to happen? Yeah. Uh, Pamela Dyson was also three months pregnant. Fuck. And he arranged for her to go to some back alley to get an abortion. Oh, which was and also, she did it? Yeah, which was also illegal because it was illegal in America at the time, but it was also illegal in, in India. And she had been like, I want to keep the baby. This can be good. This can be good. And he was like, no. He oh, arranged it and she did it. Oh, my God. So... Oh, they end up leaving Gobind Sadan super abruptly. Like they were like, pack your stuff. We got to go. Yeah. And ended up staying at a mango farm instead. They travel around India going to all these different places of worship. And on the last day, he brings like the 80 some odd white people to the Golden Temple, which is this like magnificent, beautiful. I've seen pictures of it. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So he brings them there and then inducts them into Sikhism. None of the tourists what? knew what was happening. No. Yeah. 
And one woman who was there said, and it's all in like a different language and you know they don't know what's going on. Yeah, they had no idea. One woman who was there says, quote, I didn't know the ceremony was affirming an agreement to live the life of a Sikh. I now understand that this could cause Indian Sikhs to be furious with Yogi Bhajan. What we did was a desecration of a sacred ceremony and it was not appropriate. Yeah, absolutely not. Oh, I'm glad that she made that statement because she's like, yeah. I want ev- – like, She didn't want- know that until re- – that was a recent statement. Oh, my God. Because they don't – she had no idea. No, not at the time, probably. And so it's also important to note that – oh, I've already talked about this. Sikhs – the, the Sikhis, they don't practice yoga. Well, it's right. not it's part of – It's two separate things. It's not part of their religion. Right. They aren't vegetarian. They don't revere living gurus. They don't wear exclusively white. So what he's selling is not – Sikhism, it's this like it's a hybrid of whatever he wanted yeah, to put of together, like whatever he just and was put a like name on it and call it shit in there. Yeah. So on the way home, Dyson suffers a massive hemorrhage from the botched from the uh, is hospitalized in London and is left there alone while everyone else goes on to the U.S. Oh my god! And he obviously goes on to the U.S. Yeah. with everybody else because he's like, don't care. Yeah. I know. That's so scary. Oh, my God. Can she have kids? Yeah, she, After that? she, yeah, she had. She ended up having yeah. kids. Okay. So from this point on, Bhajan's historical narrative changes. He starts saying that his personal guru was Guru Ram Das, and the story about him going to Gobind Sidon to clean became him going to the Golden Temple to worship Guru Ram Das. He also – I know. I'm, like, still glitching. Yeah. Uh, he also kind of says that there's this other teacher named Sant Hazara Singh – but there is no – Nothing else you can find to support that. No. And Philip Slip was like, I don't think this person is a exists person <laughs> at all. Yeah. He's like kind of creating this lineage to like give himself legitimacy. Right. To give himself more of that like – Not clout, So but. Yeah. And it's like this person, this Sant Hazara Singh, who supposedly taught him when he was eight and declared him a master of kundalini yoga at 16 and a half. So he's now created this new narrative, created this lineage for himself and has made himself some kind of like wonder – like wonderkind or wonderkind? Wonder- wonderkind. What does he say? What does he say on Talasso? They call him you wonder kid. You don't want to ask me because okay. I thought it was wonder kid. <laughs> yeah, um, but remember the whole time he's like, it's not wonder kid. Oh yeah, I, yeah. I'm like I don't I know. I don't know what it is. I thought it actually was Wonderkid for a long time until mm-hmm. it's like Wonderkind, Wonderkind, Wonderkind. Okay. I don't know. Anyway, he's made himself a boy genius, basically of Kundalini yoga, a self-proclaimed boy genius who yeah, was not to be confused with the amazing band. <laughs> but he literally created himself at a very young age, which is kind of scary. Like when you think about it, like all the people who have done something like this, who've created themselves, who live in their own, like, world of reality, mm-hmm. kind of start young. Well, no, that none of that was true. He didn't practice yoga at all when he no, was No, I eight. know, but he oh, made so he's it just up. Lying up. Oh, yeah. He starts, like, like creating this psychological. He's like, oh, what? You became a guru when you were, like, 20? I, I became 16, a guru. Yeah, exactly. Bitch. Like, yeah. one-upper for life. And oh, then, ultimate one-upper. Yeah, and then they just, like, I don't know. I feel like with a lot of the the stories that I've bumped into, they all kind of like were born that way. Yeah. A weird quest yeah. for like power and yeah. recognition. Yeah. So the community grew rapidly. 
Budgen would teach classes, dub students, teachers, and then send them out in the world with little knowledge to start their own yoga centers and ashrams. He often taught celibacy outside of marriage and would arrange marriages Isn't it ironic? on the spot, I know, in order to make sure no funny business happened between the single folk. Oh, my God. There would be mass weddings, and they would often just be very poor matches that people well, yeah. would just be stuck with because they were like, well, I mean, this is what my guru told me to do. Oh, my God. Uh, By the mid-70s, they had a ton of businesses making them millions of dollars. There was Golden Temple restaurants. Kettle chips. No! Yogi tea. No. I know, my favorite tea. My favorite tea is I Yogi cannot. They're not owned by them anymore. Okay, they were bought out. They were bought out by someone else. Kettle chips too? Yes, kettle chips oh. were also bought out. Sunshine oils, which I don't know, but also a call security who mostly runs like ice detention centers, which is like the most un-yoga yeah, yeah, shit yeah. that you could possibly I don't know do. how that aligned. I don't know how that came into fruition. It does. Well, money. Yeah, well, money. But I'm just like. I know. So they started a ranch in New Mexico, and they would hold these huge summer solstice celebrations there. So it was kind of like their – it was like Kundalini Coachella, basically. Uh-huh. So it was like they'd all go. They would do like hours, days-long meditations. Uh-huh. There would be music and chanting and – it probably was fun. There was also women's camps. And I'll pause for you to crack. <laughs> um, so there was also a women's camp, which I saw a video of. And I was no. gross. Yeah. Dang. It was really I was gross. hoping it was going to be. I don't know why, what I was hoping it was going to be. It was like him story, sitting but. there and he's like. You come here, sexy. Do this pose. Look at her. She's what? So and that's a woman's camp. So fucking disgusting. So, Budgen, I think a lot of people thought that he was very like feminist because some of the stuff he said was like seemed to pander to like a more feminist crowd. But he had very patriar- patriarchal views of women. He would often say that when a woman hits thirty, she reaches her peak, and after forty, it's all downhill. Oh, my God. Mind you, his wife is over 40 at this point. fuck him. Pamela Dyson also would say he would verbally abuse BBG in a way that seemed unlike the way he presented himself in public. And then he would just be like— So she got to sit there and, like, figure out how they interact— even or was it just well, in the so short because time they were there? She, because she was his personal assistant and she ended up being like he ended up calling her the secretary general, which gave her this like big position of power, but she was like glued to him. She still slept she slept in their bedroom. What? Every night. Yeah. With BBG. I don't think that BBG and Tell him me slept she together. never went back. Tell me that it never like that BBG never went back to him and that they never Oh no no no. Like, they were married and until he died. Cool. Mm-hmm. Love that for her. Yeah. So, yeah. So she said that he was, like, just so awful to her. And he was like, this is how sometimes I have to teach people so that they can learn. And she was just like, he was my guru. He knows best. So I was just like, blah, blah, blah. Like, sure. That shit's so wild to me. I know. That shit is so wild to me. He's, he's pretty gross. And so the community was expanding. These businesses were raking in millions of dollars. But the people were very poor. They'd give, they'd give 
everything they to gave him. everything to him. They were giving inheritances. They were giving handing over life insurance policies from parents that had passed away. Oh my god! Um, and then they were working for either free or for minimum wage in all of these businesses, and just promised to be. And a part they were of the just community. like, we're furthering the it's cause. For, yeah. We're furthering the cause. We're like spreading peace and love. And also because these people were being arranged in these marriages, they were also having babies. And these babies were born into this weird mm. brand of Sikhism. Very that yellow was not, Yeah, that was not Sikhism, but they thought that they, it was it's Sikhism. It's what they knew to be Sikhism. Yeah. And so they started to gain more political influence, meeting with high-profile leaders around the world. Bhajan created a lot of enemies in the Punjab and Sikh communities in India, which well, created yeah. a high level of security, which – Another high control group tactic is also making you feel like you are in a sense of like there's a sense of danger mm -hmm. that you're only safe with the people that you're with. Mm -hmm. Like a paranoia that he's Yeah, like a, a paranoia. paranoia that anyone outside yeah. is trying to get at you. So Pamela Dyson said that oftentimes she would get calls from him when she was on diplomatic trips and he would be like, There's an there's intel that there's a plot to assassinate you. You better do this. So yeah, better, and then she would be like, "He saved me. He was there. He cares about me. I oh, I'm forever indebted to him." Mm -hmm. So during this time, she was seeing less of him because of the growth of 3HO. 3HO is the company that, or the the organization, and it stands for Happy Holy Healthy or Happy Healthy Holy or something like that. Okay, three H eight three H's. She was seeing less of him because of this growth, but was also very much in love with him. And at this point, she was over 30. So she's already, already passed her peak. Already peaked. Yeah. Um, and he'd already moved on to the much younger staff. At one point, she fell in love with another aide, and she went to budge in and was like, I want to be married to this guy. And he was like, no. Shut up. He made her marry him off to a rando, made her perform the ceremony. He just picked someone out and he was like, yeah, 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 you're going to marry this person. Made her perform the ceremony. Oh, my God. Yeah. In the mid-80s. So she's like watching, essentially performing the ceremony for her loved one to be yeah. married off to somebody else. Yeah. And so in the mid-80s, she ended up leaving 3HO and moved to Hawaii, ended up marrying that guy. He was like, so she. He found her. She found no. Her. So he was like, I mean, I've always been in love with you. I was just was doing what was right by this. But me and my wife, we have a very platonic relationship, and they ended up like move, leaving and going to Hawaii and getting married, having baby. But Budgen was pissed, as these types do. They get super pissed when anyone Vengeful. tries to leave. Mm -hmm. So he talked shit and eventually called on Tej Steiner, who was the. He was running 3HO in Toronto, and he was like, please talk some sense into her. She's insane. So he ends up hearing that, like, him and Dyson – Dyson and Budgen had been having an affair. And so he calls her, and he's like, hey, is this true? And she was like, everything is true. And so he was like – Budgen gathered very quickly that Dyson had told him everything. Yeah. And he says to Steiner, quote – I know that you know certain things. I just want to tell you that there are so many people who love me in this family, so many people, and some of them have guns. If you tell people what you know, I'm not responsible for what they might do. They are crazy, and they love me that much. That's so crazy. That is so crazy. How about a threat without a threat? Yeah. 
How about the dance around the threat? Yeah. So Steiner ended up writing a letter to the Kundalini leadership writing, quote, can we open, openly question our spiritual teacher's actions without punitive measures taken against us? If we hold any, la- any leader above this accountability, we move from being a dharma to being an occult. 1,000%. I love that that was worded that way, too, because it just leaves no, no room for, like, a no. Yeah. So, in turn, he was attacked by leadership and ended up leaving. No! Yeah. In 1994, they joined the UN as a non-governmental organization representing women's issues, human rights, and providing education about alternative systems of medicine. Good for him. No, that's not him. That's what they did. Oh! Which is, like, super ironic. Yeah. Yeah. They were like— Oh, I thought that's what he went and turned around when— No, no, I wish. He seems like a chill guy. Mm -hmm. No, this is just what they were doing to, like, while all of this is going on, this is what I bet you they're just trying to shiny object it and be like— Yeah. We we wouldn't do that. Look at all this other good we're doing. That doesn't align. So in 1996, 3HO started the Mary Perry Academy. The idea was called distance therapy. Budgen believed that America would fuck up all these kids born into 3HO with drugs and, like, their basically dumbass way of thinking. So he sent them away? So he's like, they sent them to boarding schools, to farms, to live with other families. And then in 1996, they started their own academy. At first, I think that people thought like, oh, you're right. This is a good idea. But at the schools, the kids were isolated. They were abused and neglected. Yeah. The school taught mostly about this invented history of budget. <laughs> this like fake. Yeah, like this fake history yeah. of budget and his teachings and not any academics. So when they left the school – College isn't really an option. They don't know. They have nothing. They can't even test in. No, they have nothing. And so there's multiple accounts of women returning from school and being placed in the secretarial staff and being raped or molested. They were fucked from the jump. Yeah. Often no one spoke up because they didn't want to out the man that meant so much to their community. That is crazy to me. Uh, Trigger warning. Rape and sexual assaults. So Kate Felt, a woman who had been groomed to enter his secretariat, alleges she was raped violently by Budgen with the help of her sister. With the help of her sister? Yeah. She says that her sister held her down and they both beat her. And Like her, he her actual sister? Her or actual like do they call sister. each other sisters? No, actual sister. Oh my fucking God. Yeah. Absolutely not. Yeah. That is disgusting. I mean, rape is is disgusting in general, but, like, the way in which that was done is just so, like, gruesome. Like, yeah. I was shocked at that one. There is nothing in, like, it's hard for me to jump into the mindset of all these people that do these awful things because these are seemingly, like, they start off as, like, regular people, like, good people. I feel like people are good in general until they're not, right? But I feel like what goes through... It, it's this is all a big mind fuck. What goes? How does one person start like this and end up like this? Mm-hmm. Still under the guise that they're doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't understand. Like I would not ne- like just never. No. Like that's such a hard thing for me to picture. It's something I've never pictured in my life. But to wrap my head around a sister helping a bad guy rape her sister is fucking like. I don't know. No. Can't reconcile that. That is 
bad, yeah. bad karma. No, no, no. That's the baddest. The baddest karma. karma. One woman said that in the late fall of 1990 – oh, this is a quote. In the late fall of 1990, I was cleaning. He made me stand up, asked me to twirl around, and then he proceeded to put both of his hands on my breasts. He squeezed them. He turned me around, did the same to my butt. I was scared. We were alone. I was mortified. He said, you're almost ready and turning out very nicely. <gasps> you're almost ready and turning out very nicely. Like, I'm sizing you. It's like he poked a turkey and was like, or, you know what I mean? Like, did a temp check and was like, yeah. almost. Like, you're looking good. This girl was like straight out of high school. It's fucking sad. Super yeah. disgusting. A lot of women thought this was normal. And despite instinctively well, knowing that it wasn't. Grew up in. Yeah. Well, so they, I think, instinctively were like, this isn't right. But they were raised in the community. And Yoga, Yogi Bhajan was known to say a woman's duty is to be a saint in the kitchen and a hooker in the bedroom. That was like a known saying. It's like a rap song. And in, oh, in 19, <laughs> I know. In 1978, he even said, quote, rape is always invited. It never happens. A person who is raped is always providing subconsciously the environments and the arrangements. Okay. No. No. And the second somebody says that, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, absolutely not. Absolutely in what world? Not. I don't. I feel like he had raped a good amount of people at this point and was just trying to backtrack to make them like publicly like, gaslighting. They him let me do it. And then it. using his followers me. to gaslight others. Yeah. I never also. I never did it out of malice or bad intent. They set the standard or they set the stage for me. I just danced. Yeah. So over the years, 3HO continued to grow and its shady dealings flew mostly under the radar. There was like drug rings. There was weird I mean, smuggling it's... things. Yogi Bhajan died of heart failure in 2004 at his ranch in New Mexico. His death was mourned pretty widely, and his students were left mostly without a spiritual leader. But this narrative that he was a holy sage kind of just kept perpetuating. In Are there still people today? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So in 2020, Pamela Dyson wrote a book called Premka, in which she details their relationship and the abuse she experienced. In an interview, she said she was terrified to publish the book, despite him being dead at like but almost, just almost, almost 15 years yeah. at this point. She was still like so scared of him to even publish it. Because of all of his followers, and they love him so much. Mm -hmm. And they, what would they do if they hurt, you know? Yeah. They have guns. You so, never know. Like, yeah. He, but that's that's like what... That's the stage that he set for everybody. Like, that's the vision that he set. So everybody's scared. Yeah. So when Dyson released her book, it opened a floodgate and allegations poured in a lot of the sexual, a lot of the sexual misconduct and a lot of it with minors. One woman claimed that a lot of this mis misconduct happened with her father in the bed, in the room with her. And he seemed to think that she was his ticket to the inner circle. One woman claimed that, that she... That is so disgusting. I know. That There's... is so disgusting. Like, here, go ahead. I'll I'll give you my daughter if it's going to if it's going to elevate my status. Yeah. One woman claimed she talked to two teenagers. She was a therapist at the time, and they separately told her that Budgen had told them that he would have sex with them to clear their karma. 
He was also physically abusive to his followers. There was multiple accounts of him getting into arguments and then just decking somebody. And they thought, oh, well, he has the right more than anybody because he's taking on all of our karma because he kept saying like, oh, I'm taking all of this on for you. I'm doing this all for you. I didn't want to be. Jesus. Yeah. He's like, I didn't want this position. He's paid for my sins. So this is the least I could do. Like, yeah, I'm again forever indebted. One follower said he was known to just kick the shit out of people and laugh. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. See, and then, le- like, I get it, like, the kids who are, like, raised in that, like, thinking, okay, this is just the way it is. Yeah. But for everybody else who, like, slowly transformed into whatever they were. But isn't were it to- kind of like the the frog in the boiling water, right? You sit there long enough. You, you don't know it's you getting You don't know. Hotter. It's, like, slowly these changes yeah. happen. Another abuse that came to light that's not really a thing is Budgen, something Budgen called psychic surgery in which he would just verbally abuse and unleash on someone to break them down like mil- in front like of a camp. whole group of people. He would call women whores and prostitutes in front of everyone, exhibiting a display of power for just like basically no reason and then be like, it's for your own good. It's and sometimes good. that's just how you have to teach people. Buck up, buttercup or whatever. However, that's that. Yeah. He would also regularly belittle his followers in Punjabi. He would point to them and be like, there are my poodles. They'll do anything I say. So Tej Steiner says that the primary me oh said, quote, the primary means of control that Yogi Bhajan used with all of us was through endless prescriptive instruction. He had teachings on every subject imaginable, including what kind of clothes to wear, how to eat, what to eat, what a certain posture or meditation would do for your spleen, nervous system or soul. He told us in which direction to sleep, how to cure allergies, depression and impotency, who to marry, how to educate our children and, of course, how to go to the bathroom properly. There were thousands and thousands of these prescriptions. In fact, his teaching was almost entirely prescriptive. Do this and you will get that. And he'd make them eat these like crazy, shitty, like crazy things like shitty, (laughs) Uh, which isn't, again, another tactic of high control groups. Yeah. Uh, One diet was just watermelon. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. Then there was a greens only diet. And then these people were vigorously exercising every day because they were spending like six hours hours, and hours and hours hours doing doing yoga. yoga. Yeah. And eating almost nothing. And members were told if they disobeyed or they left, they would get sick and die. He told Kate Felt, that woman who Mm -hmm. was raped with the help of her sister, sister. that it was her destiny to be sexually attacked and die in a car crash. What the fuck? So So she she left. Yeah, and she thought she would be sexually destiny. No, no, that it was always that's always her destiny. Oh, I thought that That was was a scare tactic to keep her in. He was like, "This is your destiny. I'm just helping. I'm just helping you along the destiny, and then one day you're going to get in a car crash and die." And just like Tej Steiner, many of the followers were threatened with death if they revealed any of what they knew. So in March of 2020, Siri Singh Sahib Corporation, which is the company that runs 3HO, commissioned an independent study into the – sorry, independent investigation into the allegations by a company called an olive branch. Uh-huh. And they released a report that said that the allegations were, quote, more, than, more likely than not to be true. A lot of people raised and who belong to 3HO have been helped by the organization and do believe what he told them to be true. So it's not like – They don't think they're out there committing bad. No, they're not out there actively deceiving anybody because they were raised. But now there's this whole generation of people who believe – who identify as Sikhs 
who have a, a huge difference in beliefs than the Sikhs who like come real. from yeah, yeah come from the East. And so it's just like a very weird, and I'm sure it's really, really hard to be in this place to know that how you were raised, all of it was lies made based up. on lies, based on lies and made up by this really yeah. awful. And so it's not like the whole community was in on it, but a lot of them were complacent with this abuse. And a lot when a lot of this came out, a lot of the high profile teachers just doubled down in support of Bajan and his legacy. What? Yeah. A lot of people were like, no, these are all all liars. None of this happened. All of these people, all of these victims essentially are liars. Yeah. One of them is Guru Jagat, who we will meet next week yeah. and is truly unhinged. Oh, my God. More than this guy? More than Bajan? Yes. Okay. I don't know. This is all bad. I know. <laughs> I'm not smiling because it's un- it's awful. I'm, I'm smiling, smiling because I'm uncomfortable. Because it's I'm bad. not sure how this happened and my face doesn't know what to do. Yeah. I mean, actually, no, I do see how this happened. I do see how this happens. And I it is really unfortunate. Uh, I think for the, More, even people who weren't necessarily directly impacted by Budgen, his actions created this complete whole community where people suffered and how who are still suffering as they try to struggle with this identity where they're like, I don't I thought I was a Sikh. And apparently and all I I'm, learned is are all lies. Yeah. Is fake. This is all fake stuff. Yeah. Put together by some guy who convinced us that he is the end-all, be-all, knows-all, has answers to all things. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. I don't understand a world in which that this could happen, but it does, and it can, and it is happening. I just don't, like, like when it's a smaller group, right, it's, it's you know, but once it snowballs and becomes bigger and bigger, it's harder to stop and harder to, you know. Yeah, it's like hundreds of thousands of people. That's crazy to yeah. me, though. The hundreds and th- well, because a lot of them are now born into it because it's mm-hmm. gone on for this long, and then they have no they have no choice. No, because yeah. and and everybody they know and are close to, they're all into it, and then to get out of it is like turning their bags on everything. Well, and even like Pamela Dyson, but did they even want to get out of like no? But I didn't. Hear I think it. that so Pamela Dyson says that there was multiple times where she was like, "I need to get out of here," but she was like, "I don't." have anywhere to go i have no money because i've given all my money to him. yeah i know nobody because so i've isolated up- myself from my family i've yeah because they're yeah. like if they're if they're not on your path you get rid of them yeah so how is she gonna turn around and go back to them yeah what would she have she'd have nothing nothing but you s- so she ends up suing him uh i believe that she ends up suing the 3ho organization after he's gone mm. I believe. Mm. Or he's close to death. It was later in life. Damn. I know. What should we call this one? The See, I was the first thing I think of is like not even the biggest part of the story. It's just that, that stabbed lady, me. The, the lady sister spiritually yeah, fucked. The sister, yeah, yeah, that yeah. sister is spiritually that fucked. That sister, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people are spiritually fucked, but specifically, but that, specifically sister. that sister. She should be the hardest to yeah. be spiritually fucked. yeah. 
I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling shooketh. Yeah. By the idea. So yeah, that sister. That's that sister. I bet you I can find her name. I want you to find her name. Oh my god, what if she's still alive? I think she is. So many people are spiritually fucked. <laughs> so many people are spiritually fucked. That is a that is this it. is a wild, terrible one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that oh, is it for today. Yeah. Um, follow us on at spiritually f podcast on Instagram on Instagram, and then rate and review us. I think that's it. Yeah, we have no other things. Right? Yeah.